Welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. This podcast explores what it means to make life less difficult for each other and for ourselves. We share stories of struggles and successes because we believe sharing our stories eases the difficulty of life. I'm Lisa Tilstra, your host. Let's jump in to today's conversation. My guest today is Anna McMahon. Originally from Ireland, Anna spent many years working internationally in education. She now is a positive psychologist and coach, focusing on helping individuals and organizations determine what well-being is and how to achieve it. Anna founded the company Enhanced Wellbeing and facilitates clients in a process of deep self-learning to enhance their well-being. Her solution-focused and strength-based approach ensures high-quality, valuable learning experiences for every client. Anna is a registered member of the British Psychological Society and the Psychological Society of Ireland, as well as accredited with the European Mentor and Coaching Council. Her qualifications also include a bachelor's in psychology and sociology and a master's in applied positive psychology and coaching psychology. I met Anna here in Sri Lanka through an international expat group. We immediately connected over our shared interest in coaching, as well as many other parallels that come from living and working as an expat. Anna, thank you so much for sharing these pieces of your journey with us. You demonstrate great courage in your life as you have sought for meaning and purpose in your work, in your personal life, and now you pass along that gift to others as you help them explore what makes them happy and what it would take to embrace and live out those elements. Anna, welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you for having me. This is a real treat for me because you are the second guest that I am able to have a conversation with face-to-face. We're in the same room and it's so amazing. And I'm almost like, wow, what do I do? This is so different (laughs) and wonderful. Yeah, it's really nice to actually be able to just record a normal conversation, not over Zoom, not over video. Yes. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, so... We met here in Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. and perhaps those listening might already be able to tell from your accent that you are not Sri Lankan. <laughs> Definitely not. My skin tone and my ease of burning and the sun would definitely say that I'm not Sri Lankan. So I would love to ask you, I, I'm reflecting back on how we first met, and I'd love to hear your telling of that story and how we first got connected. <laughs> So from what I remember, we were at an expat event and we got chatting across the table, something about your energy. I think I was just drawn to your energy. And of course, then we started talking about what we do and how you were a coach. And if I remember correctly, my eyes lit up and I said, I'm a coach too. (laughs) So it's like, oh, great. Um, And what was fantastic about that was, so that was early last year. And I think we went into quite a few lockdowns after that. We did. But yet we were still able to have a few lunch dates, get together, have coffee, chat about our industry. And then, but also, I think there's always something different when you're talking to another coach. There's another level of listening and understanding and meeting on a very deep level very quickly Mm -hmm. without having to do the normal chit chat of, of when you meet expats because you know in expat life we meet so many people um so many new people so frequently yes 
it can always take a while to get into really getting to know somebody. But I always felt with you, we kind of got to that place quicker um, because we just connected. Yes. And I remember one of the things that I value and thinking back over the last year and a half or so since we met is there's been large gaps where we haven't been able to get together Mm -hmm. because of lockdowns. And I was gone for quite a bit of time last summer, but every time we get together, we just jump right in and living this life of continual transition and moving every few years. And I really have come to value that in my friends where it's okay if there's large gaps between times that we actually get to see each other. And because there's so many different reasons why that can happen. And even more so the last few years with COVID. And so it's just, uh, it feels like a real treat every time we do get to spend time together and we just jump right in and figure out what's going on with life and coaching and I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I totally agree. And I find that like the hours just skip by when I'm talking to you, um, talking with you and I'm like, Oh, I have to go, but I don't want to go. (laughs) I want to stay chatting. Um, yeah. And it's lovely. It's lovely being able to have that where you just jump right in. There's no pressure that we need to see each other very frequently. That connection is always there and it's not rocked. Yes. by how much time passes, yes. which is lovely. And I, and I bring it up for a particular reason, because I, I know right now in a, a global sense, a lot of people are talking about connection and connectivity mm-hmm. and the difficulty that there's been of connecting with friends. And I, I think that we can really intentionally give others the space to okay, for whatever reason, we're not in touch. This this can be, I think, just a valuable friendship skill for adults mm-hmm. that we don't always necessarily talk about. Um, but I remember a couple of years ago talking with my niece who's early 20s. And at that point in life, friendships can be really intense and you're seeing each other every day and going and doing everything every weekend or several nights a week. And I remember talking to her and saying, you know, I have friends that I only see maybe once a month. Yeah. And yet they're a really good friend. And she was kind of blown away by this idea that you can have friends that you don't have to constantly be in touch with. And it doesn't mean that there's not meaning there. So this is a side tangent and not really anywhere that we intended our conversation to go, but that's part of our conversations on this podcast. (laughs) I think that's, that's so true. And I think because of the position that we're in again, as expats, We move frequently. Um, We make friendships not knowing how long they're going to last. And then uh, there's a a very good friend of mine. And she says, you have your friends for a reason, a season or a lifetime. Mm. And I think being able to accept that um, and realize that not every friend you make could be your friend for life. And that's okay. Yes. Um, But being able to be confident in the friendship as well and realize that a lot a long period of time can pass but it doesn't mean that you're not friends anymore it doesn't it doesn't negate the connection that you had at one point absolutely and yeah I think that's it's a beautiful and it's a comforting thing to be able to accept and realize and just go with it Mm -hmm. and this actually came up very recently in a conversation with me for those friends who are for a season, Mm -hmm. 
I used to feel a great sense of loss if I didn't stay in touch with a friend. And I found that it, it almost made me discount the meaning of the friendship when it was an active part of my life Mm -hmm. and shifting that perspective to, okay, maybe I'm not in touch with that person anymore. That doesn't actually take away Mm -hmm. from the season of time that we did have together. Mm -hmm. And that's been can't even remember where it came up, but just recently, I'm like, well, that's a really important shift. Yeah. yeah. And then even sometimes if it triggers for you going, oh, I miss that person, or then you can drop them a line and just say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Yes. Remember this, remember that, that happened. And I think that that's nice as well. It's just to dip back into it. Mm-hmm. So all of this makes me think about making life less difficult <laughs> 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 to bring us back to our topic at hand. And, um, you know, to ask you what this idea of making life less difficult means to you from this quote by Marianne Evans, what do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? What does that mean to you, Anna? So I love that this is your approach with your, your podcast, and it's a fantastic quote. To me, making life less difficult is about being empowered to act on the elements that are within your control. Mm. And What I I mean by that is that when I look at my own life, I accept that certain things are within my control, certain things are within my influence, and that there are things that are outside of my control. Um, And I'm reminded of like, there's so many sayings and prayers, and I think of like the AA prayer Mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, grant me the serenity to accept the things I, I cannot change. There's so many versions of that, but it comes down to that idea of acting on what's within your control. And that's how I make my life less difficult. Mm. But I also think it's important to be, to realize your power and being empowered to be proactive about those things that are within your control. Because when we were actually talking, I suppose, off air (laughs) about being passive and just allowing things to happen around you. And I think being able to be empowered and being able to be proactive are two of the best things that you can do for yourself. Agreed. Agreed. And as you say that, the thought that comes up is it sounds fantastic and wonderful and hard, (laughs) (laughs) harder than it probably needs to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least in my experience, it has been hard. So I would be curious to hear a little bit from you of what has your journey been maybe just some highlights that have gotten to this point of, of just realizing the importance of being proactive and even those categories of realizing, okay, what, what do I have control over? What do I have influence over? What do I have no control or influence over? How did you come to this point of wisdom? <laughs> so I think there was actually quite a significant turning point for me that I can attribute all of this wisdom if you call it too mm. and um a big, it, it came down to making a career change mm. um around the time I was getting married about four years ago um I had gotten married and come back uh, we were living in China at the time we'd come back from Ireland to China and we had like beautiful time getting married came back after the summer and I had what I call almost like an existential crisis of where I, I questioned, okay, is that it? Is this, is this it now? Is this, 
adult life is with this. <laughs> is there some disappointment there? <laughs> yeah, I'm gone. we oh. won't tell Dave. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, well, yeah, I, I looked at my life and objectively, I had an excellent life. Like I had a deeply loving relationship that I was, am, still am, <laughs> so happy. And, you know, my husband and I were together like 12 years. Um, I had a, a good job. I was financially secure, um, traveling, which was something I always wanted to do. Lived in a beautiful home, had my dog, everything. When you looked at it objectively, it was a good life. But I still had this like element that something was missing mm-hmm. and I didn't feel fulfilled. And I, it was almost like an itch I couldn't scratch because I didn't know what it was. <clears throat> and I spent some time honestly kind of in turmoil because I couldn't figure it out and I couldn't get answers to it. And I, I didn't know what to do. And I was, I had gotten to a stage where I was a bit distraught about it because I couldn't, I just couldn't figure it out. What was wrong? And I was like, yeah, but nothing's wrong. Mm. I'm healthy. I'm happy. I'm in a loving relationship. I want for nothing, but yet I wasn't fully fulfilled. Something was going on. Inside. Exactly. Something was going on. And I, and again, like my husband was fantastic at the time. He was, he was like, okay, you know, Anna, let's sit, sit with this. What do you need? right now what do you need to figure this out he knew I was he knew I was searching for something that I couldn't find so I'd actually made the the decision then to take a career break so I was working in education at the time and I um, handed in my notice to the shock of kind of everybody around me um, and took a, a sabbatical and I was like I I think I just need the time and space to focus on whatever's going on and figure it out. Um, and I think that for me, that was a sign of me being proactive. Yeah. Um, and I think for a while I had ignored it in a sense or just gone, it's, it's fine. You know, like you're focusing on the wedding. So like the wedding's the next big thing. I'll, I'll fa- focus on that and then it's fine. But it was after I had gotten to that stage of the wedding was done and there, was, there wasn't another distraction ahead mm-hmm. of me that's when it came to a head. Mm -hmm. So I now understand that what I was experiencing is called the hedonic treadmill. So talk to us about this hedonic treadmill. What is it? What is it? What does that mean? So it's this, you're on, you're caught on the hamster wheel or the treadmill of um, hedonia and looking for the things that bring you happiness and satisfaction but like a treadmill, it brings you back all the time. So a great example of it is people at work where they're in their job. They're not feeling uh, satisfied, fulfilled. So they go for the next promotion Mm -hmm. and they get it and they get more money, but then that unfulfillment catches up with them again. So then they're feeling a bit rubbish, a bit unfulfilled. So they'll go for the next promotion and you're constantly chasing the next thing, next thing, next thing, But all it is, is distracting you from that unhappiness and that lack of fulfillment, lack of satisfaction. And that's what was happening with me. Mm. I was on to the next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. Keep thinking from a place of good intention, right? Because truly we can think, okay, this next thing will bring me fulfillment, happiness, meaning, but then it doesn't. Yeah. And that's a sign. 
<laughs> there's something else. Exactly. Going yeah. On. I don't think you're originally doing it. You're not you're not looking for a distraction. Right. You're looking for a solution, but it's not the solution. It's a distraction. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for, for me, once I didn't have any more distractions to distract myself with, that's when it came to a head. So I took my sabbatical from work. Can I ask you a question about that? Because uh-huh. something that stands out to me is that you took a sabbatical, you turned in a letter of resignation without knowing what you were going to do next. Yes. And that takes a lot of courage. I, I know that people like, okay, well, it's one thing if you know the next thing, okay, well then let's stop this and go on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. What, what was it that gave you the courage to step into that blank space? That's such a great question because that is not something that I would ever have done previously. Okay, so that that was uncharacteristic for you? Massively uncharacteristic. And I I remember a good friend of mine at the time said that to me. She was like, wow, Anna, I can't believe you've done this because certain things that were important to me throughout my life, like being financially independent Mm -hmm. and handing that over. Now, and again, like my husband was fantastic. He's like, it doesn't matter. It's our money. Like, but it bothered me. I was like, this would be the first time since I was 15 that I haven't earned my own money. That yeah. really bothered me. It's significant. Huge, huge. Um, because it was really something that is embedded into my core. Um, yeah, so that was big. And then taking a leap of faith and not knowing the next stone that I'm going to land on. Yeah, it, it, it was it was looking at it now from this perspective. Yeah, it was huge. But I think I was so desperate and in such turmoil at the time I was like I have to do something and this is the only thing that I know to do Mm. and I think I had toyed with the idea for a couple of years but never thought I'd be brave enough to do it Mm. Um, and I do I acknowledge it was brave Um, and even my one of my brothers said to me he's like I wouldn't be able to do what you did I wouldn't be able to take that step and not know what was coming next but I still maintain it was the best gift I ever gave to myself. So what happened after you turned in your resignation and started on the sabbatical? So the beautiful thing about um, teaching is that like when you hand in your resignation, it's not like you are done two weeks later. So I still had six months left of work to do. I had to finish out my contract, which was good because it gave me time to plan a little, put some money aside, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing and prepare to go on to whatever was next all the time fielding questions from everyone going well what's your plan everyone thought I had some secret plan yes of course that I was doing something and then you know nine out of ten people are like so you're pregnant aren't you (laughs) you're like no amazingly women leave work not just to have babies um I'm doing something for myself you know and I think that's an odd concept as well that people aren't used to I don't get it. Why would you give up a good job mm-hmm. to go to nothing? And if it's not to start a family, what is it? Yeah. You know, and people around me were searching for answers that I didn't have, mm-hmm. but I also felt a bit empowered to go like, I don't need to give you an answer. <laughs> I'm just figuring myself out, um, which I also recognize is a privilege. I know that it's not something that everybody can do. Yeah. Um, but I hate to think if I hadn't done it, where I would be mm. now. 
I had to do it for my own mental health. I had to figure this out. So finished my contract, started my sabbatical. And it really was like my husband went off to work one morning and I was sat there in the apartment and I just thought, well, what now? Like, <laughs> okay, um, right. Uh, I suppose I'll bring the dog for a walk. Um, so there was a little bit of, of that, just getting used to having the time and the space and the energy and appreciating the time and the space and the energy. Mm. I remember saying to somebody like, it was beautiful. Everything I did today was my decision. I didn't have to do anything for anyone else. Mm. I didn't have to be somewhere because of someone else. Um, the thing in teaching is you're tied to the bell. So even yes. what time you can go to the toilet is dictated to you. <laughs> I just massively appreciated that autonomy. And that that was one of the first lessons, I think, for me that was like, oh, my autonomy is really important to me. So I started journaling um, as a way of kind of recording my reflections. And that was one of those themes that came out all the time was the importance of autonomy to me. And I think it was, even though I had always prided myself on being independent, it was the first time that I really felt autonomous. Talk to me about the difference in meaning between independence and autonomy. Mm -hmm. I think the idea of independence that I had was being self-sufficient. And um, I've, heard, I've heard some people confuse autonomy with being selfish. It's doing your own thing and suiting yourself. I don't know if that's just an Irish term of describing it, but like somebody would say, well, she likes to suit herself. And that's sort of in a derogatory. Yeah, sense. like that you're selfish. Um, you don't do things for other people. And that's not the case. Whereas autonomy, I think, is just being able to sit back and make that decision about, well, what do I want to do and why? Mm. Where am I putting my energy and why? Mm. And it was the first time in my life that I felt empowered to question that and make decisions on it. Independence meant I could do everything that, that people asked me to because I was financially independent. I could always drive so I could go anywhere that I could get myself anywhere at any time. Mm -hmm. That's independence. Mm -hmm. Choosing if I want to go there or not, that's autonomy. Yeah, it's a, and it's a great distinction mm -hmm. that I think often just gets blurred altogether. Yeah. But I like how you tease that out. Yeah. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. And I think it's challenging in some ways. The greater challenge is taking the space to ask ourselves why. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, it took me some time to actually realize I didn't even know how to answer the question of what do I really want? Because I'd spent years of my life not paying attention to what I wanted, just paying attention to what other people wanted yeah. and making sure everybody around me was okay. Yeah. So it sounds, it can sound like a simple question of like, what do I want and why? Mm -hmm. And yet it can be quite a profound question. Yeah, I totally agree. It's not, it's not a simple question. And it's, I think it's almost sad in a way that when someone asks you, what do you want? And you can't answer it. And I couldn't. What do you want, Anna? I don't know. What do you not have? I don't know. Um, what's your next step? I don't know. And I also, during that time, 
learned to be comfortable with I don't know because I was never comfortable with that before mm -hmm. I'm the kind of person and again it goes back to my independence of no I'll make decisions for myself I'm completely self-sufficient um, I know what my next step is I know what to do I was very uncomfortable with I don't know mm -hmm. and I had to learn to sit with that and become comfortable with it and taking that time out taking this sabbatical gave me the opportunity to sit with it to sit with the I don't know to sit with the confusion and it's a it's a almost like a mantra that I have and I always go back to about having curiosity over judgment mm. and I was very judgmental of myself of for for not knowing yeah and annoyed with myself for not knowing mm -hmm. you know because I prided myself in always being able to figure things out for myself so once I put the judgment to one side and started being curious about the I don't know then I started getting answers I love what you're saying Anna and this is very close to my heart and I would say my core values. I think curiosity is a core value that I have, I would say, learned about and cultivated over the past few years <laughs> of my life and, and learning that power of curiosity pauses judgment. Mm. And it is, it can be surprising how much judgment we have. I know at one point in time, I had this moment of wow, I have a lot of judgment towards myself. <laughs> I had no idea, right? Because it was just part of the voice in my head and the conversations I would have with myself and um, realizing like, that's, that's maybe not where I want to spend my time. And what if I would be curious? Mm -hmm. and, and again, the courage, that's what comes up for me is you say stepping into that space of acknowledging, I don't know, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And I'm going to sit with the, I don't know. It takes a lot of courage and I love curiosity is so important and just kind of cushions that mm -hmm. time because it can be a challenging time. It can be difficult. Curiosity can make it a little less difficult. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And the funny thing is, it's that again, like in the last few years, are you familiar with um, the VIA character strengths, your values and actions? No, tell us about those. So it's actually, um, it's a type of assessment that you can do to see what your top character strengths are. Oh. Um, it's a, I'll, I'll give you the link actually, you can maybe stick it in the show notes Absolutely. and I advise anyone to do it. But yeah, you go through these series of questions. Um, it's all empirically supported, which I'm all about. Um, and it, it tells you your, your top character strengths. And mine are judgment, bravery, and kindness. Wow. And when I first saw judgment pop up as my top character strength, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. I'm so judgy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, first of all, thought of it as a negative because judgment can, can be, have negative con connotations, like you are judgmental. Mm -hmm. But once again, I stepped back from it and I was like, no, judgment just means that when I make a decision, on something or when I'm thinking about something, I am very thorough. I make informed decisions. And the curiosity for me is part of that. Mm. I don't make a, a, a judgment, a snap judgment. I always make informed decisions. Mm. 
And so it's funny that my top character strength is then something that I had to work with. Yeah. So when I was being judgmental of myself, like, okay, well, rather than it being something negative, let's be curious about it and let's figure this out. Mm. Let's explore how to make a judgment on this. Mm. So when I was looking for what I was missing and why I was unsatisfied during that time to make a judgment on it. I had to explore it. Mm. And even that in itself is not something I think we all do easily. It's a skill to reflect and it's a skill that we have to learn. We have to uh, practice. We have to refine. Mm. Um, And I would honestly say, like, looking back on my life, I'd say there's there's plenty of times where I never gave myself the chance to reflect. You just do. Mm. You just there's life. Life is there. You have to get this done. You have you're on to the next to do. You wake up in the morning, you go to work, you get through everything that's supposed to be done. But how often do you stop and reflect and think and think, do I like what I did today? Am I enjoying this moment? How do I feel in this conversation? Mm -hmm. What do I want? And if people aren't reflecting, that's why we don't know what we want. Mm -hmm. Because we don't give ourselves the time to explore and think about the answers. And I think it can be a Mm self-protective mechanism. I know it's been for me at times where if I'm really honest with myself about what I want, then that leads to, oh, I need to make some changes. I need to make some decisions Mm -hmm. and that can be difficult. (laughs) So it's, it can be a little bit self-protective just to stay in that place of go, 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 do, 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 Mm -hmm. and not stop and reflect. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. The reflection can act as a catalyst to other things. Yes. And if you're not ready for those other things, you just stop yourself from, from reflecting on it or protect yourself from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you're, that's so true. So when you stepped into that time and space for reflection, when you took the sabbatical, how long before you had some sort of answers and clarity of what you wanted to do and what was important to you? Oh, it, honestly, it took months. Mm-hmm. And because, because I would step into the a space to reflect and reflection wasn't wasn't coming naturally to me. Mm-hmm. I had to really work at it and even to sit and I am a note taker. I, I wouldn't say I was normally a journaler or even if I was, say, journaling through travels, it would all be it's very like report like mm-hmm. <laughs> we did this today. We did that today. You know, not very reflective, not focusing on my thoughts or or um, feelings around something. So. I started, first of all, I just started taking notes and going, okay, what was I thinking about today? Um, What's a question I had today? And then I started looking into, um, well, how do you, how do you journal? Um, What's questions I should ask when I'm journaling? And I'm very, I'm a very strategic person. So that was my way of trying to figure, figure that out. I have so many beautiful friends that are so deep and reflective almost naturally. And I thought, I'm not like that. How do I, how do I get to that? How do I explore? 
you know, I'm, I would have seen myself as very strategic, analytical, factual. Um, so, yeah, and I, I started with that and then it became easier for me. And I also find that my conversations with people would help. And I also. So I find that um, a great way for me to be able to articulate my thoughts and be able to feel my feelings is to talk about them. Mm. And something I did, which again was invaluable at the time, was I engaged in talk therapy. Mm. And so with this um, therapist, I would, it was an opportunity for me to talk through how I was feeling um, and be able to bring clarity to it. Mm. Because if I had sat at home and, and wrote about it, I wouldn't have had that same clarity. Yeah, there's only so much that, and, and it works different for everybody, but mm -hmm. I resonate with that because I've had a lot of insights in talking with others, working with a therapist, working with coaches. Yeah, there is something yeah. about saying what's inside our head, getting it outside of our head. Oh, definitely. Having been able to get it, get it out of the process of, of having it within you and getting it out. Yes. It, I think brings clarity and understanding to it. And also then the role of that other person, and that's what's so great about coaching and talk therapy is that the role of that other person is just to bring self-awareness to you. Mm. They're not asking questions for their own understanding. They're asking questions for you to develop your understanding. Mm. So, and that process of the questioning would help me to dig deeper and dig deeper and dig deeper. And I had so many realizations through that process that I would never have got if I hadn't engaged with somebody else to talk through it. Mm. And even if you, if I was reflecting on a conversation that I'd had and I walked away from it kind of annoyed or upset, or, but I didn't know why, I didn't know why I was feeling annoyed or upset at that person. And being able to talk through it with somebody else. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, right. I, I, I understand now where my annoyance is coming from. I understand where my frustration is coming from and why. Great. I have that answer now. But all like, yes, I engaged with talk therapy and coaching. And I also had um, a handful of really, really good friends. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, uh, most of them have like, background when working in mental health and and counseling and coaching and therapy so they bring another element to it so you're yeah. talking to them as a friend mm -hmm. um and that always helped as well I also very quickly realized who I could talk to and who I couldn't about this who I benefited from talking to about it and who I didn't mm. and so because I, I mean, I left a, a career in teaching. My husband's a teacher. Um, in the expat circles in international schools, 90% of the other people that you know are teachers. Are teachers. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't always easy for other people to understand where I was coming from when I would say things like, I don't find meaning in my job anymore. I'm not challenged by it. Um, I would find that certain people would almost see that as insulting. Yeah. Um, now, my husband totally got it, totally got it. And he it was never he knew I was never um, raining on his parade because he he if we won the lottery in the morning, he would work for free as a teacher. He loves his job, yeah. gets so much meaning out of it. 
And it was actually me seeing him getting meaning from it that made me realize this is not right for me. I'm not having, I'm not having the same sense of self and satisfaction that he's having out of this Mm -hmm. and, and realizing that that's not only a possibility, but that's how you should be with your job. Mm gave me another perspective to realize where I was with it. Mm-hmm. And that was the exploration that I had during my sabbatical. I realized that it was come, it came down to my career well-being. It wasn't my personal life. Mm-hmm. It wasn't uh, my home life or my financial life or anything like that. That was, um, I realized that it was my career well-being that was impacting me and making me feel unfulfilled and unsatisfied. That was the part of life where something big was missing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and super helpful just to kind of like tease those different areas mm. out in our life, because when we have that sense of something is missing, it can be difficult to figure out, okay, is this about my entire life? Is this about <laughs> personal? Is this about work? Is it, where is it? And so, yeah, that's even a really valuable part of the process for you. are like, okay, now. I can zero in here on my professional life, my career. Yeah, exactly. And being able to compartmentalize in a sense Mm -hmm. was, again, I'm analytical so and strategic. So that helped me. I now know that your career well-being is the most um, impactful aspect of your well-being overall. Mm -hmm. And career well-being is is not necessarily your job. It's what you do every day. Mm And of course, it's where you spend most of your time in this period in our lives as adults. So, of course, if I'm feeling unsatisfied in such a large portion of my day, that's what was having an impact on me. Absolutely. Yeah. But there is this pressure in a sense where, you know, people would say to you, but you have a good job, but it's not stressful, but uh, it's secure. Mm -hmm. You can travel with it. You get good money. And I, I would hear all that and I'd acknowledge all of those things, but it wasn't enough for me. Mm-hmm. And really it came down to meaning and fulfillment mm-hmm. and challenge. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, autonomy, mm-hmm. being able to go to the bathroom at whatever time I choose in the day, <laughs> I never realized was such a significant thing for me yeah. or being able to, to spend a bit longer on a project because I was really into it mm. and not because the bell went and I had to finish then. Right. You know? Right. So, and that's where it, it, it came. The months that I spent exploring where I was and realizing that having that autonomy in my day, being able to do different projects in the day that challenged me and intellectually stimulated me. Mm. I didn't realize how much I had missed that and how much I wasn't getting it in what I was doing every day. Yeah. And I'm always really conscious of how I say this because this was just my subjective experience Mm. I know so many beautiful and wonderful teachers that love absolutely love their job my husband is one of them and he is finds it intellectually challenging and stimulating and gets such meaning from it and I wasn't Mm -hmm. but that's my experience Mm -hmm. not anyone else's right and it's not the job it's yeah it's I mean I I resonate in right now in my life, I live in a high rise apartment building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, when people ask me about where I live and how I like it, 
I, I don't love living in a high-rise apartment building. However, it has nothing to do with the building. It has mm-hmm. everything to do with me mm-hmm. and other people. I mean, and it's a beautiful apartment. It's a beautiful building, right? Like, yeah. and it, so it's not about the job. It's about what's going on inside us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important and valuable place to get in life where we can say, okay, this is about me and I won't choose to live in a high-rise apartment building again. And you were saying, look, I'm going to choose a different career yeah. because there's nothing wrong with the career and it's fulfilling for lots of people. Awesome for them. Mm-hmm. I got to find something different. Yeah. I'm making that. I don't know if that connects at oh, all, yeah, but I'm 100%, making that 100%. It is. And we've talked before about toxic positivity mm. and there is a pressure and it does, it comes from other people and maybe society that you should just be grateful for what you have. Right. You know, there are starving people in the world. Mm-hmm. You could, you could be so much better so much worse off Mm -hmm. that's true and it doesn't actually impact how I'm feeling about this me thinking oh well I could be worse off um I could be more stressed didn't make me feel any better about what I was doing in my career and yeah I think people can people in society can put pressure on you to just build a bridge and get over it Mm -hmm. and don't be so ungrateful Mm -hmm. And I, I, I faced that. I experienced it. And that's where, when I say I knew there were certain people I could talk to about it Mm -hmm. and certain people I couldn't, that just didn't get my perspective. Mm -hmm. And rather than me trying to put energy into, into them understanding my perspective, I just accepted it. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't need them to understand it from my perspective all I needed to, to do was figure out how I was feeling about it. And I always come back to this idea of empowerment because me figuring it out, me understanding it, me being proactive about it, that's where the empowerment came from. Yeah. Whereas had I continued to be in a job that I should have been grateful for and that I could have been far worse off in um, was burning the light inside me. Mm. it was it was putting that light out yeah um and taking that sabbatical figuring it out exploring how I was feeling that was such a big part of of answering what I wanted to do next Mm. and and again this all took time so this was I had my sabbatical uh start of or sorry end of 2019 Mm -hmm. we were in China so COVID hit China at the start of 2020. Um, and like everybody else in the world, your best laid plans for the rest of the year went out the window. Indeed. So that was another reset. Mm-hmm. Um, I had thought about and was planning to, to do a couple of humanitarian projects, do some charity work and that, that all went out the window. Um, I did end up uh, fostering far more dogs than I ever should Aww. have <laughs> um, and really stretched stretched myself in that regard at one stage in our um high-rise apartment I had six dogs wow yeah that's a lot that is a lot (laughs) (laughs) but also you know I something from that experience that was really valuable at the time is that I realized the value of doing something meaningful in your life Mm -hmm. but then also how it can be draining and stressful and that was a valuable lesson to learn I got so much meaning and fulfillment 
from looking after those dogs, training them, rehoming them. But it was hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really hard. You know, oftentimes you were, I would be up to every two, three hours in the night where I was house training a puppy. Yeah. So it was a valuable experience. Um, but then, so after that, when we moved to Sri Lanka, I was finally at the stage where I was like, okay, I know what I want to do next. I know where I want to go. I had, I had a background in psychology. Um, I trained in psychology before I became a teacher. I actually got into teaching because I had planned to do a doctorate in educational psychology. Oh, wow. So teaching is probably one of the reasons that I, I moved, eventually moved away from it. I got into teaching because I needed experience in teaching to do my doctorate. And that what was supposed to be a two year get experience thing turned into eight years because we went traveling. Mm -hmm. It was a good and easy job to travel with. I kept getting promotions at it. Apparently I was pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And you fall into the hedonic treadmill. Indeed. So I knew I had found myself going back and reading a lot of psychology again. And I realized that I get great satisfaction out of understanding people. Mm. And that's something that really piques my curiosity. I love understanding why people have done things. I love questioning people and and getting to know them at a deeper level. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was so that was really, really tied to my love of psychology and my interest in psychology. And I kept, kept finding myself being drawn back to that. And then I got curious about why I hadn't gone down the psychology route previously, why I had stepped away from it. And I realized, and this actually came through in, in a talk therapy session where I, I came to the session and I said, I don't know why I never pursued the psychology. I, I don't understand why. And I couldn't figure it out. So we talked through it. It took a couple of sessions. And I realized that I saw psychology as fixing what's broken. Mm. And traditional psychology is. Traditional psychology is about the pathology of what's going on. Why are you ill? Why are you mentally ill? Let's fix that mental illness. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, clinical psychology is about bringing you back up to normal, fixing an illness, bringing you back up to quote unquote normal Mm. and the idea of always dealing in illness didn't didn't appeal to me and through my reignited love affair with psychology (laughs) over the last couple of years I realized that that wasn't the only direction in psychology that and that had when I studied it 15 years ago that's all we knew that was the only direction it was the only direction fixing what's wrong there is a whole other side of psychology called positive psychology which is about tapping into your strengths looking at potential optimizing and I just thought that idea was beautiful Mm. and I recognized so I recognized it in myself and it resonated with me so much because that's where I was in a sense and I'm I'm making this sound very simple but I was at normal there was nothing drastically wrong with my life Mm -hmm. I was at normal but I didn't feel like I had self-actualized. I didn't feel like I had reached my potential. The thought that this is it 
was depressing in a sense. Mm -hmm. And I realized that that's what I wanted. I wanted to optimize. I wanted to reach my potential. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go beyond what my life was in that moment, what my life was in that time. So yeah, then started my (laughs) um, love affair with positive psychology. And I was reading a lot of positive psychology books and starting to take it into my own life. And then I went and did a master's in positive psychology. It's such a beautiful field. I can't even remember the first time I heard the term Mm. positive psychology, but the feeling that I attached to the first time I heard that term was, oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) This is wonderful. Why, why don't we do more of this? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it, it is such an amazing, it opens up the other spectrum of how can we optimize? How can we, mm-hmm. yeah, things. And, and I think it, it, it provides some context for, for people who maybe, maybe have worked through um, a fair amount of past and maybe trauma and, and healing and might still have questions about like, okay, where to from now? Or for people who haven't had anything major or traumatic or, you know, they're just kind of like, eh, is this all there is to life? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really just opens up that space. That's it. Exactly. It's you can. And again, this is a very oversimplification of it. But exactly as you said, if you are somebody who has suffered anxiety, depression, and you you go through your treatment and come out the other end of it and you come back to, and again, quote unquote, normal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, OK. But that's it. But something in your life had triggered that depression and anxiety now. So do you be proactive and try to make your life better? Or do you just sit in that normality? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a positive psychology um, concept about post-traumatic growth. Yes. And I defy to find anyone that hasn't suffered some kind of trauma. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I don't think we're very good at realizing uh, what trauma is or acknowledging a trauma. Mm. Go, ah, wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, you can have post-traumatic stress and you can have post-traumatic growth. Mm-hmm. But that growth takes effort, takes nourishment, takes time, and it takes being proactive about it. Yes. And I think what always appealed to me about positive psychology is that it's the room for potential mm. and there's no end in sight to that. And I, I just think the idea of it is, is beautiful for anyone and everyone and everybody has potential. Mm-hmm. There's, I was asking my husband about how he would describe uh, positive psychology and, and what I do, because sometimes I think when you're in an industry and you talk about the jargon and the ideas and the concepts that are in your industry and you're so deep into it that it can be kind of difficult to explain it then to somebody who has no idea so I was asking him how would you how would you explain what positive psychology is and he uses the analogy of um like a personal trainer Mm. so he's like you're there you're healthy you're within a good weight range for where you should be in life but you're not particularly fit but you're not unhealthy or overweight either so you're 
again, quote unquote, normal. <laughs> but you have a decision that you can improve yourself. You can reach your full potential. You can get fitter and get stronger. You can maybe win some races. You can get or your- Or at least do a race. Maybe do, not Yeah, win. yeah. <laughs> but you can do one. <laughs> you can start and finish. Yeah, you could do your couch to 5K. Yeah, start and finish. Oh, just start. <laughs> just starting is something. And he's like, that's what positive psychology taps into. It's that potential to be better. Yeah. So how have you, how have you changed personally Mm -hmm. since discovering positive psychology and then going on, I mean, clearly a very structured educational journey. Mm -hmm. What's the difference it's made for you personally? What I love about it and the biggest difference for me is like I was saying to you, it's really important for me to understand people and understand things Mm. and I went and did my master's because I was so curious about this positive psychology and the impact that it could have on my life and other people's lives and I had to know about it and I had to know everything about it Mm -hmm. um, which is typically me so throughout studying for the master's I was constantly thinking about man this is what I was looking for Mm. This is what I was looking for when I was searching for that meaning and why I was so unsatisfied because I I did positive psychology and coaching psychology. And as we know with coaching, coaching is about facilitating that learning in someone else Mm -hmm. and helping you to find answers. And I kept coming back to, I wish, I wish I had known about this before. Mm -hmm. I wish I had known that this was a possibility. I wish I had known how significant it is to have meaning in your life, how significant it is to feel accomplished. The challenge that I felt I was lacking in my previous career meant I didn't feel like I was accomplished. Mm -hmm. The lack of meaning that I felt in my job is a huge part of your well-being to have missing. And I didn't realize the impact of that. And I think a lot of people don't. Positive psychology taught me the importance of all of these elements to having not just a good life, but your best life. Mm. And what I do now with everything that I've learned is I help people to find that meaning that they're looking for. I help them to reflect on their lives to see what changes they want to make, could make. And most of all, I try to empower people to realize that they can make changes Mm. and that they are in charge of this and that Life doesn't have to happen around you. You can be proactive in it. And sometimes it takes, and it's no easy feat. And I know that because I've experienced it. It's no easy feat to take the time and actually reflect on where you are and what you want and answering that question of what do you want? What do you have? What's missing? If I could wave a magic wand, I wish that everybody would give the time and energy and space to looking at their own well-being mm. and taking time to reflect and taking time to question what's going on in their lives and make changes before it's too late I think one of the saddest existence that you can have is to look back on your life and just say well that was it mm. I think I, I didn't do the things I wanted to do because I didn't give myself time. I didn't realize it's what I wanted to do. It's what I wanted to do. I wish I had done that. I wish I had done this. 
what is life if we're not happy in it and we're not the happiest that we could be? And I think that's the trick to making life less difficult is to feel empowered about making those changes to make it the best that you can. And I just would love everybody to realize the power that they have to making their life the best that they can. It's really beautiful what you're bringing up, Anna. And I, there is a, there's a part of me that as you're saying that, something that comes to mind for me is you were saying, you know, what's so sad is somebody gets to the point where they reflect back on their life and they're like, ah, that was it. Um, and it seems like there is value in no matter how young or old we are, mm -hmm. pausing and saying, if, if tomorrow was it, if tomorrow was my last day, mm -hmm. what, what would I look back and say, or, or to project ourselves into the future, right? There's different ways you can do this exercise, right? But like project myself into the future and say, I live to 104, like my grandmother, mm -hmm. right? Hopefully. Um, what do I want to look back on my life mm -hmm. and observe and notice? And not just wait for life. And, and, it, and it's a little bit of a, a tricky thing, right? Because a lot of people I find don't want to think about the end of life or death or dying. Mm -hmm. And yet for me, there's a consciousness of it that allows me to step into the present moment and think about, okay, well, what do I want to do to actively engage in life mm -hmm. and really step in and, and create the best life that I can? And it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but to take that active, proactive role figure out how can I be empowered and not just have life happen to me. Yeah. I think that that's so important. What you bring up is it's not that easy to do it. Mm -mm. And, you know, you can shut it down and say, is that morbid to think about the end of your life? It's actually studies have shown that people who accept that life is finite actually end up having happier, better lives than people who ignore that fact. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. Whatever your philosophy is regarding the end of your life if it's an afterlife or reincarnation or it's finite and that's it mm -hmm. that can have an impact on your life in this moment as well mm -hmm. so even if you can't think forward if you can't think to the end of your life and looking back just look back from this moment now mm -hmm. and look at what you're doing every day your career well-being are you happy start with the simplest question am i happy yes no why? What makes you happy about what you're doing every day? And it's so simple. Your relationships, whether it's a romantic relationship, your friendships, your family, whether you're single, married, whatever. Are you happy? Yes, no. Why? Do you have meaning in your life? What are the things that you enjoy doing? Is there anything that you find yourself thinking about that? I want. I wish. Stop and reflect. And it doesn't need to be complicated. Start with that simple question. Am I happy? Mm. Yes, no, why? How do I know? Mm. How do I know I'm happy? How do I know I'm not happy? Because I, I guarantee you, I've seen this with my own clients. People don't ask themselves that question. Yeah. And if you're not asking yourself that question, there's a reason why. What, what are some of the reasons why you find that people don't ask themselves those questions? They're afraid of the answer. Mm. But they don't want to admit the answer. You know, whether it's you're in a relationship that you know is not working mm. or you know that you're deeply unhappy in. And sometimes it's not just the realizing it, but it's the admitting it. Mm -hmm. 
that people struggle with. And for me, with my career to go, I'm not happy in my career was, was kind of hard to take in a sense because one part of me, even though I was only in my 20s, was like, but I've spent so much of my life doing this. Have I, have I wasted time? Right. Have I wasted effort? Have I wasted a qualification? Have I, I have no idea what I'm going to do next. And that was stressful mm-hmm. and, and heartbreaking in a sense, because it's, did I make a mistake? Mm-hmm. And that can be a hard pill to swallow. But reframing it, it's, I didn't make a mistake. I, my life ha, has gotten to that point and you cannot change the past, but you can learn from it. Mm-hmm. So for me, yes, to, to think like, I'm not happy in this and, and process through, was this a mistake? Have I wasted a big chunk of my life sitting with that and going, no, okay, that's still experience. And maybe I wouldn't be at this point now or making this decision now, had I done something else? Where do I go from here? That's all that's within my power. Mm-hmm. is deciding the next step mm-hmm. and I think it's liberating in a sense when you can accept and you can acknowledge that you cannot change the past mm-hmm. you cannot rewrite rewrite it but what you do in that next minute day week month year that's within your power mm-hmm. and that's liberating in my opinion it is and, and I want to just take a moment to go back to something you said a few minutes ago where it doesn't have to be complicated. Mm-hmm. And, and for some people, you know, they might be listening and be like, well, that's great for Anna. She could quit her job and mm-hmm. she had, you know, a husband who was me. And maybe somebody's listening who can't mm-hmm. quit their job, mm-hmm. right? Because there's financial responsibilities. And I would say, I know I've been in positions where I'm like, I can't change the big things right now. What are some small things that I can change? Yeah. And that's, I've been there too at yeah. other points. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then we go back to the circles of control. Mm-hmm. what is within your control mm-hmm. if you cannot quit your job and you cannot um stop working the hours that you're that you're working what's happening with the hours that you're not working mm-hmm. can you change something within them or even something in your job maybe yeah maybe exactly have a conversation with your boss and be like yeah i'm really not satisfied is there is there any adjustments that can be made yes within my job. I mean, like it doesn't hurt to have those conversations and the worst that can happen is they say no. Yeah. Then, well, okay. At least, you know, (laughs) know? but that takes, that takes some courage. Yeah. Again. And it also takes that reflection of just saying, this isn't really working great Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I may not be in a place to make huge changes, but what are some Mm -hmm. potential small changes, or at least just talk to some people and say, are there some, because sometimes it can be small adjustments and tweaks yeah there's a theory about like marginal gains Mm. I think it comes could be wrong on this but I think it comes down to an Olympic bike rider who rather than changing their whole program changed something for a three percent change oh interesting um now I could have the details of that all muddled up but it's definitely called marginal gains anyway and, and that can be something, just something small. Mm-hmm. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. <laughs> so if you say to your boss, hey, I think I want to try something else. All right, fine. Maybe, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Mm-hmm. Maybe they won't want to listen to you. How you spend your time and what you put your energy into and whether you stay that extra hour at work could be within your control. Whether you work through your lunchtime, 
and could be within your control. Mm -hmm. Whether you go and sit with a colleague at lunchtime to have your lunch and chat mm -hmm. is within your control. The people that you're hanging out with mm -hmm. is within your control. The questions that you're asking yourself are within your control. And that's, I think if there's one takeaway that I would encourage people to have in walking away from our conversation is just stop and reflect and ask yourself just one question am i happy and i think that question alone could potentially throw up so much mm -hmm. for them and i feel like we could just sit here and talk all afternoon and there's like <laughs> this is what we normally do <laughs> 500 questions that i haven't had a chance to ask you but i'm wondering as we um you know look to close out this conversation right now mm -hmm. um Say a little bit, you've talked about your journey, but say, say a little bit about what you do now, because you've gotten your master's in positive psychology and coaching. So what do you do now? And just uh, in case somebody would be interested in reaching out and connecting with you. Yeah, absolutely. So what I do is focus on uh, well-being. So I focus on well-being for individuals and organizations. And again, my big role is, is developing that empowerment. So when I'm working with individuals, we will do assessments, sit down and reflect on where they are in their life right now. And the questions that they're struggling to ask and answer themselves, I help with that. And I do it through coaching. And I also help people to learn about well-being so that they're empowered for it. And same thing with organizations. So I do well-being consultancy with organizations where um, I go in, assess the organization, um, and we look at optimizing the well-being of the employees and leadership in that organization mm -hmm. because well-being is the absolute foundation to people being at their best. Yes. And if you get well-being right, if you are proactive about it, if you focus on it and concentrate on it, it has so many other exponentially good outcomes Productivity goes up, people are happier, people are better at their jobs, they're more fulfilled, they stay in their jobs, um, they make positive changes in their lives. And again, if I had another magic wand, it would be for people to realize the power of focusing on well-being. Mm -hmm. That's what I, I do, I suppose. I <laughs> focus on well-being to empower people. It, the visual that comes to mind for me is the lake that you toss a stone into and then the ripples just go out yeah. right so if you can toss the, the right stone into the water and those ripples go out and those ripples of well-being because that really is there's such a ripple effect that goes out and spreads far and wide whether it's an individual who's taking the time to find that well-being stone to toss into the water of their life or an organization the impact goes far definitely absolutely and it i don't think those ripples ever stop i agree i agree which is such a beautiful visual <laughs> thank you so much for sharing anna and um let's have another conversation absolutely i mean the hours just could fly by when i'm chatting with you lisa <laughs> it could be the irish gift of the gab in me as well that it's it's hard to stop me when i get going <laughs> Yeah, well, it is an honor to have you on the podcast. And uh, yeah, it'd be really fun to sit down again. And I 
couple of months and you'll have some major changes in your life over the next couple of months. Yes, so. definitely. Um, these changes are kicking away in my belly at the moment <laughs> as we talk. <laughs> so yeah, that will be a, a definitely a significant change with um, that will bring huge meaning to my life. Well, thank you so much. And um, we'll include contact information for you in the show notes, your website and everything, your um, Instagram. And just to, just to verify and have you say it, you are fine if somebody wants to reach out and connect with you directly. Absolutely. I encourage if you've got questions, you want to go, want to know a little bit more, reach out to me. I'm always happy and eager to work with people that focus on their well-being and want to improve their well-being. And I also have a 20% discount for any of the listeners to this podcast so you can use the coupon lisa20 for any of the services on my website all right we'll put that in the show notes too thank Thank you you. that's so kind of course i always encourage people to focus on their well-being start those ripples